Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, as we pray each week, we ask you to join us here this morning in this place, and we trust that you are here with us. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love a baptism. Don't you love a baptism? But more than that, I love preaching a baptism sermon. And the reason that I love it so much is that it allows me to take a seeming dichotomy, right? The giant difference between a tiny infant who has just been baptized and all you mature Christians out there in the congregation A baptism allows me to take this seeming dichotomy and actually preach to you, both of you, both to you and to Thomas Neal, this tiny boy, as though you're in pretty much exactly the same place. Because you are. And to the preacher, and I think even in the eyes of God, you are the same as Thomas. And to show you that you're the same, I want to look this morning at the two professions, or two of the professions, that Thomas's parents and godparents made on his behalf. Do you turn to Jesus Christ and confess him as your Lord and Savior? I do. And then, will you obediently keep God's holy will and commandments and walk in them all the days of your life? I will, the Lord being my helper. These two professions, along with John's first epistle, which we read from this morning, will help us understand our similarity to this tiny child. It will also help us understand how sin and righteousness work, and ultimately to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. So let's begin with baptism. Baptism is a wonderful picture of the work of God in the human life. Someone in profound weakness and need, Thomas can't even stand up or feed himself on his own, someone like this is welcomed into communion with the Almighty, not on account of anything he's done, but on account of what God has already done for him in Christ. That's the good news that we're celebrating this morning, if I could give away the punchline to the sermon right here at the beginning. God himself comes down in the person and work of Jesus Christ to say to Thomas, before he could do anything to earn such a thing, child, you are mine. And he does the same for you. You are just as weak. You are just as needy. Now, you may be able to physically stand up and feed yourselves, most of you, but your life and the sin that mars it forces you to identify with Thomas in your weakness and need. You identify with his inability to earn his standing before Almighty God, with his wide eyes watching the world spin around him in ways he can't begin to understand or control, the inability to do the things you want, and the compulsion to do the things you hate. You know what that sounds like to me? Just about every day of the week, 
It's what St. Paul called this body of death. But baptism, either celebrated anew this morning for Thomas or remembered for those of us who are a little bit older, baptism welcomes us into a new life, a resurrection life, a life secure in Christ, a life in which the weak and needy are met with the support and care of God made manifest in the Savior of the world. I'm tempted to just say amen at this point and sit down. But doesn't it all sound just a little too good to be true? I mean, is that really the life into which we're welcoming Thomas this morning? We're all older and more experienced. Is that the life that you feel like you're living in Christ? Every week in the middle of the service, after the confession and absolution, we say the comfortable word of Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, says Jesus, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If we were to keep reading, Jesus continues, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That sounds great and sounds like a life worth living. But the truth is that for so many Christians, these words of Jesus' make almost no sense. Jesus as a place to find rest, an easy yoke, a light burden. For so many, Christianity is a list of difficult things that are expected of you to love your enemies, to turn the other cheek, to give what you have away, to love with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. That doesn't sound restful or easy or light. And then John swoops in from our reading this morning and seems to confirm our worst fears. Everyone who commits sin, he writes, is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, Jesus, was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. So, Thomas, be afraid. Be very afraid. Maybe the Neals want to reconsider this little club into which they've initiated their son. Maybe it's not so great after all. Unless you imagine that this is just a caution for Thomas, it applies to all of us who are already initiated too. No one who sins, says John, has either seen Jesus or knows him. So which is it? Is Christianity a religion in which Jesus comes to save weak and needy sinners? Or is Christianity a religion in which adherents are called to be righteous like Jesus? How are we to understand John's intense 
words about righteousness and sin here. Certainly, those of us who are honest with ourselves are well aware that even as Christians, we sin. Is there, can there be good news for us? Or are we just welcoming Thomas into some incredibly legalistic and moralistic club from which any mistake will get him thrown out? Now, in order to understand what John is saying to us about sin and righteousness this morning, I want to take you back to last week's reading from this same letter and coincidentally to another of our weekly comfortable words. This is what we read last week from 1 John chapter 1, and actually into the very beginning of chapter 2. So we read this morning from chapter 3. This is what we read last week from chapter 1. This is the message, says John, we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie. And do not do what is true. But if we walk in light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, John loves referring to us as little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, I know this is a lot of scripture to keep in your head at one time, but remember that John is writing this as a letter meant to be read all at once. So it's important to understand that when John writes something scary, like he does in John chapter 3, it must be read in the context of the good news that he's already assured us of in John chapter 1. John has already acknowledged that we all sin. More than that even, he says that if we claim otherwise, that we don't sin, we make ourselves and God into a liar. He admits that he'd prefer it if we didn't sin, but then reminds us that if, when we do sin, we have Jesus. We have a comfortable word. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. So clearly, John is not talking in our reading this morning when he says that only those who do right are righteous and that no one who sins has either seen or known Jesus John is clearly not talking about a sin or even sins, plural, being enough to separate us from the love of God in Christ. No, indeed, we have an advocate, remember, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who speaks up for us 
in just those situations. We are covered by his righteousness. Our sins were taken to the cross and left there forever. His righteousness is given to us and is sufficient on its own to reconcile us to God the Father. Now this good news radically changes how we are to understand the one who sins here in John chapter 3. John is not talking about whether you sin or not, about whether Thomas Neal is going to sin. He knows that you sin. He knows that Thomas is going to sin. John is instead talking about the posture of our lives, the the fundamental orientation of your life. He's referring back to chapter 1 and talking about whether you walk in darkness or not. When modern translations render this section of John 3, they always say things like, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. That's the English Standard Version. And it gets closer to the idea, probably as close as simple English inaccurate translation can get. But here's another way to say what I think John is teaching us across this whole letter. He's saying that there are two ways we can misunderstand sin and righteousness. Both of them are walking in the darkness, to use his language. That is not in the light of the gospel. Now, one way of misunderstanding is what he showed us in John 1. We might refuse to admit that we're sinners. Don't do that, he says. If you do, you're calling God a liar and making yourself into a deceiver. Everyone, he says, from newborn infants to the most mature believer is a son or daughter of Adam and Eve and a broken sinner. There is no truth, says John, in anyone who says that they don't sin. But on the other hand, we can misunderstand and fall into licentiousness. This is what he has in mind here in John chapter 3, the idea that translators have tried to capture with phrases like the practice of sinning or to keep on sinning. This isn't a refusal to admit sin in an act of self-righteousness. This is a refusal to acknowledge the sinful life we lead needs to be confessed. John 1 preaches against thinking that we're good enough. And John 3 preaches against thinking that it doesn't matter what we do. And the real Christian life falls into neither of these errors. We preach law and gospel, commandments and promises. We don't say we have no sin. And we also don't say that our sin doesn't matter. The real Christian life is characterized by two things. First, a ready admission of guilt. The confession of sin and repentance in Jesus' name. And then second, because of the good news, 
Because of the gospel, because of our advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, the Christian life is characterized by forgiveness, by redemption, and resurrection. So, is Christianity a religion in which Jesus comes to save weak and needy sinners? Or is Christianity a religion in which adherents are called to be righteous, like Jesus? Yes, it's both. We prayed as much in our opening prayer this morning, the collect of the day. Almighty God, we prayed. You gave your only son to be for us both a sacrifice for sin and an example of godly living. The baptism professions hold true for all of us. First, do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior? I do, we say. And I rely completely on his righteousness, his faithfulness, his goodness offered to me in exchange for my sin to reconcile me to almighty God. And then will you obediently keep God's holy will and commandments and walk in them all the days of your life? I will, we say, the Lord being my helper. And then going back to the collect, we begged God for his grace to help us receive his gifts. Because of Christ's righteousness given to me. And because due to that righteousness, I have been created anew. God's commandments become promises. What he requires of me becomes a gift to me. My remade heart loves God and seeks always to obey him. Indeed, it is only ever with the Lord's help. His righteousness freely given to me, his indwelling Holy Spirit and supernatural care and leading that I or anyone could ever walk in God's will. God made manifest in Christ is the creator and the sustainer of your faith. He saves you and carries you along. In the Christian life, he is the lamp to our feet and the light on our path. He is the beginning and the end. He is everything. This is what we celebrate this morning. This is baptism. This is confession and absolution. This is Holy Communion. This is church. We come together to remind ourselves that Jesus Christ is our everything. He is the perfect life to which we aspire And he is the Savior who died to give us the perfect righteousness we could never earn. Our word to Thomas Neal today is the same as our word to you. Your call is to live as Christ commanded you. And Jesus did say hard things. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Honor your father and mother. Our word to Thomas today is the same as our word to you. Sin matters. Indeed, no one who lives in sin knows Jesus. Now, this 
burden would be heavy and this yoke would be hard. But there is good news. Jesus took these heavy and hard things to the cross for Thomas and for you. And he buried them in the grave forever. Jesus died for Thomas. And Jesus died for you. So in Jesus' name, confess your sins. In his name, repent and turn once again to his ways. Weekly, daily, hourly, by the minute, right now. And then without hesitation or price, in Jesus' name and on account of his finished work, you are forgiven. It's done. Sealed. Forever. And then celebrate with us. Sing his praises. Reaffirm your faith in the words of the creed. Eat and drink his body and blood. Live again on account of the life Jesus lived, the life he has given to you. Remember that your citizenship is in the household of God, bought and paid for by that advocate for sinners, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the perfect atoning sacrifice for your sins, not for yours only but for the sins of the whole world. Amen.